welcome to episode 60 of the 1099 for the week of September 19th, 2016. I'm your host, as always, Josiah Renauden, and the month of Kotaku continues. Last week, we had Riley McLeod, and this week, we have the news editor of Kotaku, Jason Schreier. Jason, how are you doing today? Hi, Josiah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, again, continuing this Kotaku train, and the one thing I've learned the maybe the most is that Kotaku is a way smaller team than I thought it was. Uh, from <laughs> the outside, true. just the output you guys have what you guys have done in terms of producing interesting content. I always thought it was just like bigger. And then like talking to you, it's like, no, it's, it's really not that many people. It's just a few people <laughs> doing a lot of things. The the thing about Kotaku is that we all work kind of the the hours and the jobs of multiple people. So it winds up working out. It really does. Uh, and I was looking, you know, creeping might be the right word, at your uh, LinkedIn page beforehand, because I kind of want to know your background. I know you were at Wired for a couple of years, and now you're approaching five at Kotaku. But before mm-hmm. any of that, did you write news or do any sort of other journalism outside of games? It was was the plan always, I'm going to be a journalist, or was it always, I'm going to be a games journalist? So the plan for me was always, I'm going to be a writer. So I dabble a little bit with screenwriting and fiction writing, which I still may do at some point in the future. Mm. Um, but I had always been interested in journalism. So I did some of that stuff at, in high school and college doing uh, newspaper stuff for those various, for various uh, uh, out my high school newspaper and my college newspaper, et cetera, et cetera. And then after I graduated college, I went back to my parents' place and started doing some kind of freelance journalism for various local news websites and newspapers and stuff like that. And uh, as it turns out, covering local government meetings is not very interesting. It's really not. surprising. <laughs> Um, it might surprise people to hear that, but uh, sitting for a four-hour zoning board meeting about whether sh- someone should be allowed to put a fence in their backyard <laughs> is uh, not a great use of time. So it's, I was it's doing almost that. soul-sucking at times too. I did that with like a school board, and by the end, it was like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this stuff. Right? Yeah, but it's actually it's a good way to kind of get your chops and uh, put your foot in the water as far as journalism goes. So I did that for a while. Um, and at some point, I don't remember exactly when, but at some point I was just like, you know what, I don't want to do this. Maybe I should try writing about something a little more interesting, like video games. Um, so I kind of used that as a an excuse to start pitching reviews and articles and uh, just going to as many places as I can. And I started pitch. I started freelancing. I did a little work for uh, Pace Magazine. I did a little work for Edge Magazine for various websites like Joystick and Games Radar. So I was doing that for a while. Um, eventually, I wound up seeing an opening for a contributing writer gig at Wired, which was kind of a full-time freelance sort of thing, or like part-time freelance sort of thing that was just a stable gig. Um, and I applied to that, and Chris Kohler hired me there, and I worked with him for a while uh, until Steven Tadillo called and was like, hey, I'm taking over at Kodaku. You want to come? I was like, okay. Uh, and that is my career path and then I somehow I've stuck here at this ridiculous crazy company uh, since then how did you start building this stable of sources that you have now because I don't think a lot of people who want to get into games writing especially being you know into news it's hard to find all these people that will you know help give you this sort of information that you know leads to these investigative reports you do this breaking news where suddenly 
you're talking about the new Assassin's Creed months before Ubisoft is ready to even talk about it. I don't even know if Ubisoft knew they were making the new Assassin's Creed by the time you knew <laughs> it. So, I mean, it's not easy to kind of get that Rolodex of people. So what's that process been like? Has it just been really iterative over time where you just keep talking to people, meeting people, and now you have these people to talk to? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I definitely, I mean, working in media for this long, I just meet a lot of people and uh, I just talk to a lot of people and keep in touch with a lot of people and I'm willing to bug people until they give me answers to questions that I have. Um, that, I mean, that's one of the biggest things about being a reporter and that's something that I don't think a lot of people really understand about the job is that a lot of it is just being so persistent that you are annoying and <laughs> continually saying uh, or continually asking people questions until they will talk to you. Um, I, I think that's kind of an underestimated part of the job and maybe it's something that not a lot of people in games writing too. Um, I think part of it is that, I mean, there are a lot of factors here, right? But one of them is that Kotaku as an institution, um, obviously there's, there's been some recent news and we just got purchased by another company, but traditionally Kotaku has always been a website that is not afraid to piss off publishers yeah. or co companies that we cover in any way, which means that we're willing to uh, get up the truth no matter what no matter how many advertisers we might piss off potential advertisers we might piss off or no matter how many companies might stop sending us review copies or whatever else um, and that's traditionally been one of our most important I mean that's one of the reasons that we're as big as we are because readers know that they can trust us when it comes to that sort of thing um, so that's a big part of it I think is that people generally know if like if someone is like, hey, uh, my company is uh, treating us really poorly and forcing us to work seven-day work weeks, uh, like 16 hours a day or whatever, they know, uh, hey, I can come to Kotaku and they will most likely like be willing to talk to me and cover it no matter what the company is, no matter what sort of relationships they might have with that company. Um, because that's the type of thing that sort of exposing wrongdoing has always been a lot more important to me than like revealing the latest Assassin's Creed, which is kind of like whatever. I mean, people will find out about that anyway. Yeah. Um, so that sort of stuff I think is really useful for us. Um, it's just a lot of hard work and talking to people. And I don't know when I'm talking, I talk to a lot of game developers and I don't really see it as like cultivating sources. I more see it as like, Hey, this is an interesting person that I would like to get to know. Um, and, uh, if, if when I have questions about game, various parts of game development, then I know that I can ask that person and they will help me because most people are always willing to answer questions when you ask. So I don't really think of it as like, Oh, I have all these sources who will leak me all this information because um, I'm not really interested in looking at it that way yeah. um, as much as it might seem like I always um, want to be like leaking the latest Assassin's Creed game or whatever that's never really been a priority for me it's always just kind of a side effect of I mean people happen to like sending us stuff you know what's the balance between you mentioned kind of bugging people to a certain extent like to get certain information is there a certain point where you're worried like I have asked this person too many times. I now am risking pissing them off to a point where they're not going to talk to me anymore. And again, you mentioned it's it's more about getting to know these interesting people. It's not, you know, collecting sources like you're collecting Pokemon. But is there a certain point where you're worried that you have asked someone too many times and you actually piss them off and ruin that lead? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's definitely happened to me before. Um, I don't think that, I mean, 
uh, there's definitely a balance and we're talking about interactions with human beings so it's not there's no like one mathematical formula that just works for everybody mm-hmm. it's just like i have to kind of you know over time you got to feel for it and if you burn people or piss people off you just kind of learn from those experiences which has definitely happened to me over the years um something i'm doing now is so i'm working on this book right now about game development mm-hmm. and one of the things that uh i am doing is trying to get a lot of people on the record and some people say no and some people say yes when i talk to them about various things and ask them to, to talk to me about their experience on various games um, and sometimes there are situations where I have to keep asking over and over again and I definitely have risks and probably pissed a few too many people off but it's just something I have to do like if I'm telling someone's story I have to keep asking them and give them ample opportunity to tell their side of the story so it's it's just something you got to do sometimes and, and there's there's always there's all sorts of famous quotes about reporting and being a reporter and how, yeah. how it's, it's a good way it's not a good way to make friends I mean <laughs> if you want to and that's one of the things that I think a lot of that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of people in the in, in the gaming media industry wind up moving to the video game development industry because they hang out with all these developers and PR people or whatever and they want to be friends with them. They don't want to keep reporting on their stuff. So it winds up becoming this weird transition, this weird like revolving door effect where they just move into the gaming industry because that's the type of people they are. So being a reporter is not for everybody. It takes a certain type of personality where you have to be willing to piss people off and kind of understand that you are going to make a lot of enemies you know do you think that's maybe why we don't have as much investigative reporting as we do in maybe other industries and again like i i see you i see patrick klopik and i see usually when there's a big breaking news i suspect it's one of you two or someone there's like a very small group do you think maybe because this fan culture kind of idea of people get into games media get into games writing because they started as these kind of rabid fans of games they're afraid to piss people off and that's why a lot of the other news out there is, you know, rewritten press releases or quotes grabbed from other interviews instead of these things that dig into crunch, that dig into what the hell happened with Destiny throughout development, that dig into stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely part of it. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely room for a lot more of that type of stuff in the gaming industry, although I... Uh, uh, I'm okay with like people coming to Kotaku for that sort of thing, yeah. so I'm not going to complain too much <laughs> about that. <laughs> as much as I would like to see other uh, other good uh, games reporting and interesting investigative stuff, um, yeah, that's definitely part of it. The whole fan culture and like people wanting to get a lot of people get into this job because they're interested in video games and love video games, not because they love writing or reporting. Um, I think the other angle of it is that people see video game journalism as kind of a catch-all for reviewing and previewing and um, doing exclusive, like, uh, uh, game reveals with PR quotes and that sort of stuff. It's kind of, like, become this big, um, uh, uh, just like, yeah, like I said, a catch-all for all these different uh, uh, jobs. And that is, I mean, that's happened for a uh, variety of reasons but I think as a result of that people don't really see the reporting as a key part of that um, because they just see I mean like if you look at a lot of gaming sites they just see their news 
department as just like, oh, that's where we put the people who are junior reporters who just aggregate things all day and like look at Phil Spencer's Twitter account and just write what he's saying. So it's kind of seen as like the lowest priority and like the real plum job is like the game reviewer job or like the video making job where you get to do the cool stuff. And news reporting is seen as kind of the 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 place where you have to grind news posts and aggregate all day until you can really make it big and and get it make it to the other points the other positions on the totem pole. Um, so that is another aspect of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of factors. It's definitely too bad that you don't see the same type of regular, consistent uh, uh, entertainment. Well, so another thing about it, I'm thinking of like the movie industry, right? In the movie industry, I think a lot of uh, game or movie sites like scoops and, and reporting and stuff like that comes from um, agents and uh, people who are willingly leaking stuff and that doesn't happen in the games industry even though you see a lot of people online being like oh Ubisoft intentionally leaked this as next Assassin's Creed because they want to take the heat <laughs> off whatever that never actually happens um, as opposed to other industries where agents and PR people are intentionally leaking stuff um, so that's another angle of it yeah there are a lot of angles of it in a lot of ways the game industry is just very immature and uh, still has a lot of room to grow and journalism is one of those places where it has a lot of room to grow i think speaking of immature how frustrating can it be to work in an industry where your audience is sometimes accusing you of spoiling things when you're actually <laughs> just digging into things that they want to know about when you're able to again not not to overuse the assassin's creed example but you know to reveal that way early and they're yelling at you saying like you ruined their plans to do it you know reveal it in the way they want to reveal it why would you do that like is that this job has to be kind of thankless sometimes, right? It's definitely thankless. <laughs> no, I, I, I say that, but I do get, I get a lot of nice emails from people who are like, thanks for everything you do. Um, as far as people complaining, I mean, people are always going to complain about something or another. Um, it, it's just part of <laughs> being a big and popular site. I mean, we're always going to have people complaining about various things, sometimes for legitimate reasons, sometimes for not. Um, I think <laughs> it's been, it's been really weird. The, one of the really weird phenomenons I've seen is when you see actual people working in games media complaining or like saying oh I feel so bad for those marketing people who got their their reveals spoiled um, that sort of thing that's a little, <laughs> a little weird, a little to weird. Um, but uh, but as far as I mean so I've definitely seen some weird stuff where like uh, games also like with Fallout 4 so Kotaku we posted uh, a script for Fallout 4 so what happened was in late November slash December of 2013, there was this big hoax called Survivor 2299, something like that, and it was kind of like a fake ARG for Fallout, uh, for the new Fallout game, and this was way before Fallout 4 had been announced, and everyone kind of knew Bethesda was working on a Fallout game, but didn't really know because they had never talked about it, and so this ARG popped up, and everyone was like, holy shit, like, Bethesda's going to announce Fallout 4. Um, and then it turned out the ARG was fake. And then around the same time, um, we got some casting documents from the next Fallout game. And we were like, oh, we conf I confirmed that these were real um, and that it was the next Fallout game. So I wound up posting, um, and it's worth noting, I part of the casting documents revealed, uh, spoilers, that your wife and, or your wife and husband, what your wife or husband dies at the beginning of the game mm -hmm. and your child gets kidnapped. Um, but so me and my editor went through it and 
we ultimately decided just to post a couple of the casting documents and not spoil that plot point about your husband dying because we didn't want to ruin the story for people. We just wanted to make it clear that like, hey, despite this ARG and all the 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 letdown of this thing not turning out to not be real, it turns out that this game actually is in development and here's what we know about it. Um, so it was a good scoop for us, and I think what happened was the Bethesda uh, like fan community was really stoked about it. Some of them didn't believe us, yada yada. They were like talking shit um, for the next like two years. I kept getting uh, emails and questions and videos from these same Bethesda big, huge Bethesda fans, huge Fallout fans, and their uh, YouTubers and stuff like that. That whole community. There's like a big community of uh, people who are really into Bethesda games. So. Finally, uh, Fallout 4 gets announced. Uh, it turns out the casting documents were completely legit because uh, they actually like quoted from the casting documents on stage. And it, it becomes clear that we were telling the truth and this was real. So immediately, I start getting seeing videos and getting messages from Bethesda fans saying, how dare you guys spoil the, 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 the announcement of Bethesda's game, and suddenly these same people who were like so hyped about it before and so excited about the news that we gave them, suddenly they turned around and now they're pissed off at us for for daring to spoil Bethesda's marketing plan. So that's the type of stuff that you have to deal with um, reporting on the video game industry, which is, I mean, it is what it is, and, and everyone knows about Gamergate and all the other nonsense that we have to deal with just as part of our regular lives these days, but um, at least for me, it's worth the agita, uh, just getting to do this every day and getting to report on video games and uh, try to do interesting work that uh, informs and entertains people on this world, this weird, weird and wacky world of ours. It's so weird. And do you, do you think that it's that passion and the fact that you know people who play games, a lot of them, you know, associate themselves as gamers? They associate, they kind of define themselves by this hobby. Do you think that kind of leads to the adversarial attitude between the you know the media and the quote unquote gamers? Because uh, people know at this point if they follow any of your work, but when you report on the No Man's Sky or Final Fantasy fifteen delay, people are sending you death threats and calling you a liar, which makes no sense at this point <laughs> because they should probably know like, look, if you're going to report something, you've probably like looked into it enough to understand you're not just going <laughs> to throw shit out there and hope it actually sticks like do you think that's a big part of it is because people are defined by the fact that they play games that that's why this becomes such just a passion-driven kind of anger angry response to you just reporting the news um i it, it's kind of a double-edged sword right like so the if you're making going back to the comparison to the film world right there aren't a lot of film reporters that I think people follow by name. Maybe there are a couple, and obviously there are critics like Ebert and Roper, but I, I can't think of many other than maybe like Nikki Fink, I guess. Mm -hmm. But there are very few uh, reporters in film or any other entertainment industry that people actually know. So I think in gaming, people tend to gravitate more towards the personalities. And maybe this is just a, a net result of the video game industry uh, kind of keeping its employees under wraps so they don't actually get much face time in the press and in the world. So uh, the people who follow the video game industry and world closely, they know who the Giant Bomb guys are and they know who uh, uh, the, uh, the IGN personalities are and that sort of thing. So they're following a lot of these personalities, which is a good thing for our 
our careers as far as like getting recognition and people knowing who we are, but it also comes with that terrible, terrible underbelly of death threats and nasty messages and people blaming us for things and Gamergate and all that other stuff. So it's it's kind of the trade-off that you make when you enter this world. Um, and for me, at least, it's been worth it, and I found it really rewarding in general, um, despite all the nastiness that comes with it. But yeah, I mean, I've kind of come to accept that that's just inevitable as part of like uh, uh, working for a website that has a very large audience you're just going to get that sort of attention uh, uh, once in a while and it doesn't I mean despite that uh, whole No Man's Sky story and the article that I wrote about it that sort of thing doesn't really happen that often to me I think it's a lot worse for uh, high profile women and people who speak about progressive issues a lot like Anita Sarkeesian I think uh, the the whole uh, getting waves and waves of aggression and death threats I think that's a lot worse for them I, absolutely I think so and when you look at games media as a whole I feel like there are definitely some people who you know really take certain developers or games whatever to task but more often than not there's a lot of positivity coming from the actual coverage about games out there but even mm-hmm. more so now with streamers and YouTubers those people who really aren't held to the same sort of journalist journalistic ethical standard that a lot of people who are writing for the actual websites are there's even more positivity to a point where like it's hard to tell what's real in that sense. You look at like the, the rooster teeth Jeff Gersman situation where mm-hmm. the Fallout 4 review where he gave it a three and they were, you know, I think right before that video was actually like sponsored by Fallout 4 and they were talking about how ridiculous that review was. There's a lot of weirdness like that. And you talk about how uh, some Kotaku's been maybe shut down, not shut down, but it's been, um, you've seen, seen some pushback from developers and publishers who maybe if they don't like the way you cover things they won't send you review copies or they won't really interact with you in that way do you think that publishers and developers and i think it's happening some now but they're going to go even more in the direction of focusing on quote-unquote influencers in terms of people they're going to give the uh exposure to give the games earlier to give the coverage give the announcements do you think because there's already such a positive spin with those influencers that they'll get even more attention from publishers um, yeah, I mean, they're already getting paid by publishers all the time to, and flown out to swanky influencer events. It's funny, I mean, it used to be that there were like big press events, press junkets, where publishers would pay for journalists to go fly out to like, I don't know, uh, uh, Kapchaluka for a weekend or something <laughs> like that. Um, but now it's all YouTubers instead, and they're spending that money wisely on YouTubers instead of, uh, 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 traditional press. But that said, um, First of all, I think I'm an optimistic person by nature, so I think that um, there will come a point where audiences of YouTubers start to uh, uh, grow suspicious of all these super positive videos and paid-for-coverage videos, and they start to uh, uh, think twice about who they're supporting and like what kind of pressures they're putting on their favorite personalities. Um, but even despite that, I mean, that sort of stuff really doesn't matter to us. Like, If you look at uh, Kotaku's most successful stories, and the stories were most known for are not stories based on things we got from publishers uh, like getting review copies I mean it's nice to be able to provide readers with reviewers early and on time but more and more that's becoming this obsolete 
uh, notion, like the the whole idea of having this traditional like preview cycle and review cycle, it's all kind of nonsense these days. People are more interested in talking about games after they're already out, which is one of the reasons we're able to do what we do and continue to grow our audience. I mean, we're, we've had a lot of success even with running reviews uh, late after release because Kirk Hamilton, uh, who reviews a lot of big games for us is one of the best critics out there, if not the best critic out there. And so people will willingly wait for his opinions on things and will read or know that even if they get his review a few, like a couple weeks after the game comes out, they know they're getting the best review out there. So they are willing to wait for quality. And I think that that the kind of short-term benefits of publisher access are not going to hold people up in the long run. I mean, I don't know. This might be me being too naive and optimistic, but I believe that that people will always want quality and that quality is not determined by publisher access. Um, and that, in fact, publisher access can be a detriment to quality because if you're thinking about things in terms of, oh, well, this p- piss this publisher off, you are not serving your readers. And that is one of the problems that games media has always had is, is too much uh, uh, kowtowing to publishers and letting them have all the power in the relationship. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're at this interesting place where, um, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I like review copies because they help us serve readers in some ways, but I also feel like Kotaku, if every single game publisher said tomorrow, hey, Kotaku, you're not getting any more review copies for us for any single game, we would be fine. Like, I don't think we would lose much, if any, traffic. I think our site would just continue to grow um, and that people would just keep reading our reviews and just read them late. Uh, because they know that they can trust us and they know that we're going to give them uh, the most on- honest opinions and hopefully the, mo- the best criticism that they can read or the best criticism we can do, at least. I, I do hope that's the case. I hope it's the case that we're, you know, the media is not tied to the publisher in the way where, like, you know, you need that preview coverage, you need that review coverage that the reader can understand. Like, And like you mentioned before, a lot of this is personality-based where people know the giant bomb guys, people know the kind of funny guys, people know the IGN personalities where... Hopefully they don't need to hit the exact embargo. They understand, like, no, I want to read uh, Patrick Klepik's, you know, take on this. I want to see Jeff Gersman's quick look on this. It's more important mm-hmm. about the actual person instead of the timing of it. And that that preview cycle, that review cycle, the the just rewriting press releases. I would think that it's archaic at this point. And you mm-hmm. see new sites like the you know Austin Walker's Vice Venture and Zam's expanding. And uh, John Davison was on my podcast recently talking about Glixel, which sounds very interesting. Are you excited looking at the future of the industry? Because for a while it seemed like everything was just going to be YouTube videos with guys starting out saying, hey guys, it's your boy. And then he talks about his YouTube handle for a bit. Uh, it seemed like that was the future for a bit, kind of depressingly. <laughs> and now it seems like, at least in some sense, there's some sort of resurgence of actual coverage. Do you look at that kind of stuff? And well, of course, to a certain extent, you see it as competition, but do you also see it kind of as a positive turn for the industry? Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, the the sites you mentioned, I mean, we haven't really seen much from them yet. I'm definitely excited to see what, uh, what Patrick and Austin are doing over at Vice. I think they're going to do some really cool things, and I'm excited to read them. Um, I don't really know much about Glixel, but I'm sure they're going to do some cool things as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always good to see more media outlets come up, uh, and and hopefully they will take the same approach of, of saying uh, – uh, kind of shying away from the publisher-driven 
hype cycles in favor of talking about games that are already out and talking about interesting parts of video game culture as opposed to what <laughs> publishers want game sites to write about all the time. Um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's definitely a positive thing. I mean, um, we're dealing with our own sort of issues that uh, Kajaku and our parent company has had all sorts of issues over the past year. Um, so that's kind of been where my head has been. I haven't really thought much about uh, uh, the other gaming sites that are springing up, but um, I definitely am excited to see what they do, and I'm, I'm optimistic that they'll do really cool things. Uh, are there any uh, interesting projects you have in the works that you can talk about? Uh, and also, where's the best place for people to find you on social media? Um, yeah, well, so as I mentioned before, I've been working on a book that I uh, will be talking a lot more and shilling in about a year because it's not coming out for a while. So um, I won't go too much into detail on that. But yeah, that's the most interesting thing I've been working on. And uh, people can find me at Jason Schreier uh, on Twitter. That's Jason, J-S-O-N-S-C-H-R-E-I-E-R. And of course, on Kojaku.com, which is a website about video games, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> that's a great tagline. Uh, again, thank you so much, Jason. I really do appreciate all the work you do. It's it's been you know interesting to watch all your reports coming out. And again, if usually if news breaks, I assume you're behind it. So uh, as long <laughs> thank as you, you. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099. 